We are looking at uh, number six of our launch series. I have really enjoyed taking a look at the very early parts of the early church, um, the, 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 the church that the Lord came to build up as he uh, left it in charge of those who he had ministered to while he walked on this earth. Um, after, just before he was ascending up to he into heaven, he said, go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And so these people were left to um, take this charge seriously and to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, we're going to find, and, and we have found so far, that the Lord was using these early days to purify um, His church. Um, there was a whole lot of things that uh, happened in their lives. Um, almost all of these people gave their lives for the sake of Christ. And uh, we have so far looked at the very important aspect of the Holy Spirit um, in Acts chapter 2 when uh, the Holy Spirit was given that they might have power, that they might have the anointing of God upon their lives for witness and for holy living. Um, we talked about boldness one week. Um, we've taken a look at how all things are made new in Christ. And that's what people were discovering as they were being added to the church is that their lives were made new. Um, we've talked about unity and we've seen how important it was. Jesus himself was praying for unity, and we saw that unity taking place in the body of Christ. Um, and then we talked about last week fear, and how the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, and how it is so different than this fear that, that the Lord said that we should not fear. And because after Ananias and Sapphira had given that gift, and uh, they were called on the carpet for lying to the Holy Holy Spirit about this gift and the size of this gift, um, they dropped dead and it said that fear gripped the church and all who heard about it. And so anyway, we are going to be taking a look here now at a very dramatic story. It is the, the story in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7 that tells of this man of God, Stephen, who uh, is falsely accused. He stands on trial and ultimately he is stoned to death for his faith and for his witness of Jesus Christ. And so um, we're going to be taking a look as we walk through Acts 6 and 7. So turn with me in your Bibles there. And I want to uh, start off with this observation is that um, sometimes, and in this situation, Stephen is framed with false accusations, framed with false accusations. Have you ever been falsely accused of something? Uh, someone accuses you of some wrongdoing, uh, took the last piece of pie, um, someone uh, you know stole something and you get blamed for it or pinned for it. Um, you get called on the carpet for lying and you know you've told the truth. It's challenging to be falsely accused of something. It really has a way of chipping away at uh, your, you know, your sanity and your composure and your feelings about the people that are accusing you. It's a very difficult thing to be falsely accused. And I want to remind us uh, before we move into this is that sin still kills. Sin still kills. You see, we will ultimately perish from this earth for our sin. 
But thank the Lord, he died that we might have eternal life. It is appointed for man to die once and then the judgment. And what we're looking at here is that Stephen is not dying for his sin, even though it ultimately is sin that takes us out of this world. What we discover here, though, is that Stephen is giving his life in these chapters for following Jesus, for following him into an extreme situation. Um, we are, um, we need to remind ourselves that as we take a look at Stephen and we see him following in the footsteps of Jesus, we're going to find a lot of parallels, a lot of coincidences or, or plainly Stephen following in the footsteps of Jesus as he gives his life in the same manner that Jesus himself gave his life. And we're going to find some parallels here. Um, do you recall that Jesus was framed with false accusations? On the night that he was betrayed, he's standing there in front of the chief priests and the, uh, the teachers of the law, and they're bringing these accusations against Jesus, and they're looking for people to lie about Jesus. This was very real. This is what took place as Jesus stood there and said nothing in the midst of false accusations. Well, we find Stephen also facing false accusations. Um, they've come up with stories about him. Let's read about it. Acts chapter 6, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 15. And it says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Then there arose some from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, this man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council, looking steadfastly at him, saw his face as the face of an angel. So here we find here, um, Stephen is doing some pretty amazing things in the name of Jesus. He is um, speaking truth. Um, signs and wonders are happening. Probably people are being healed. The ministry that Stephen is involved in is, is marvelous and it's a blessing. And it was threatening to these chief priests and these religious leaders. And so they stir up people against him to bring false accusations, putting words into Stephen's mouth that he didn't say, um, falsely uh, reading into what he's doing, and they bring these false charges against him. Now, false accusations that are piled against a person for doing good. Um, I want you to try to think of maybe a moment when you were doing something good, something that you were excited about, and someone brought false accusations about your motives. 
or about some action that took place or something that someone else did and yet you're getting pinned for it. Can you, can you identify with how that feels? Can you identify when someone falsely accuses you against the good that you are doing? When you have that happen, um, it's very hurtful. It can cause a lot of pain when someone speaks falsely against you. Um, it certainly can have a, a, a testing against your faith or your trust in God. You're doing something good. You're doing something in Jesus's name. You're doing something for the sake of someone else. Someone falsely accuses you and you go, God, where are you at? Aren't you here taking care of my needs? Aren't you here taking care of me and protecting me? All of your promises. How come they don't seem like they're good right now? It will test your trust in God. False accusations can easily produce an internal resentment. I've heard of stories where people have literally turned their back on God because they face moments like these. If this is the way I'm going to be treated doing something for God, I don't want anything to do with it. If those hypocritical people in that church are going to treat me that way, I'm out of here. And we can have this internal resentment begin to take root in our lives because of false accusations. Again, Jesus endured false accusations at his trial too. Stephen and Jesus both dealt with false accusations coming against him. And friends, if you're going to follow Jesus very far in the same manner in any way close to the way Stephen did, you too are going to face moments like this when your good motives, your good intentions, your your good ministry is going to be falsely accused for something. And in those moments, you're going to have a choice to make. How are you going to respond? Because your feelings are going to tell you to resent, to uh, to uh, lack forgiveness, to harm the, harm the other person, to come up with some revenge. That's what your flesh, that's what your feelings are going to want to do. False accusations cause us to identify with Christ and his sufferings. That's right. When you struggle with these kinds of moments, you have an opportunity to suffer with Christ. Why would you want to do that? That's a great question. But Paul and Peter both seem to offer sentiments in some of their writings that that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to identify with Christ and even in his sufferings. Not just the high moments, not just the the moments when uh, people were being fed, not just the moments when miracles were happening, not just the moments when he's walking into Jerusalem and people got their palm branches going on. No, they, they wanted to identify even with his sufferings. I want to read a few New Testament passages of Scripture that talk about Paul and Peter both identifying or desiring to identify with the sufferings of Christ. Let's read what Romans 8, 17 says, where Paul says, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Here, Paul is talking about a desire to share in the sufferings of Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.5, Paul says this to the Corinthians. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. To the Philippians, Paul says this in Philippians 3, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. 
And then we find Peter, the leader in the church at this moment. He says in 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. So here we find there's literally a calling for Christ's people, for those who are called by the name of Jesus, to even desire suffering in Christ, suffering with Christ, that we might know Him more even in His sufferings. There's this desire. And Stephen seems to be okay with it because how does he respond to these false accusations? Well, he could have just said, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, and probably walked out of there. But no, he decided to go on trial. He decided that if Jesus was going to stand in the midst of false accusations and give his life, he was going to follow in the hopes that those around him might discover life in Christ. Because his calling was not to live, but his calling was to follow Christ even unto death. And so we find here that the second observation is lean on truth. That's what Stephen did. He decided to lean on truth. So when we face difficult things such as false accusations, you must lean on truth. You've got to lean into it. You've got to trust it. You've got to decide that truth is going to prevail even if it means more suffering even unto death. Truth will prevail. Also, when we're in the midst of being falsely accused, we've got to keep track of our feelings. We've got to keep track of our feelings because our feelings will lead us into sin. Our feelings will lead us into a response that does not honor God. But here we find that Stephen goes on in his trial and he recounts um, history, Israel's history from all the way from Abraham on through um, the teachings of Moses. And he gives them a, a, a very nice description of all that God had done. But then he goes on and he points a finger. He points a finger at them and he says this you, in Acts 7 51. It says, you stiff necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. These are sharp words by Stephen. He is giving a rebuke. He's recounted all of the history. He's lined up all the ways in which the people had betrayed God through, through the centuries. And here he finally says, and you stiff-necked people are just the same. And he calls them account for their own sin and for their persecution. Now, these sharp words of Stephen are not fueled by feelings conflict or revenge, but rather these sharp words are intended to expose the truth and lead them to a relationship with God. And we're going to see how that's true as we take a look further in the story. But I want for you to keep in mind that when Stephen rebuked them sharply, he wasn't doing it out of emotion. He wasn't doing it out of revenge, but he was doing it in hopes that the truth would penetrate their hearts, that the council would be changed. He had a desire for these leaders to come to Christ in the same way that he had come to Christ. 
When you are hurt, when you're in conflict with somebody else, I want to encourage you to check your words, the motives of your words. I want you to check it against circumstantial truth, but even more importantly, check it against the truth of God's word. Because when you've got people coming against you and false accusations, your flesh is going to want to argue and point your finger right back. And it almost seems that that's what's going on with Stephen, but he's not doing out of the emotion that you might be tempted to do it. We need to check our words against truth. We need to make sure that the words that we're using as we would defend or as we would talk through with our accusers, we need to make sure that the words have their best interest in mind. When we are coming against somebody who's coming against us with false accusations, we need to go into prayer and say, Lord, I want to have their best intentions in mind as I go into this talk. Truthful words are not necessarily nice words, but they're always loving and for the benefit of the hearer. You need to hear that. There's so many of your conversations that you need to apply that understanding to, is that truthful words are not always nice words, but they're always loving with the best intention of the hearer in mind. We need to have all of our words, especially conflict words, seasoned with a love and the best intention for those who we're talking to. And if you can't say something good or loving to a person, we really ought not say it. But loving words sometimes hurt, but hurt on purpose for a reason. And this usually requires some time to think, some time to pray, some time to bring our our um, emotions into check so that we can talk with the love of Christ seasoning our words, even hard and truthful words. And so here we find Stephen has been falsely accused and then he leans on truth and he speaks to them in a truthful manner in hopes that they would be saved. And what we find here is there's going to be quite a demonstration of God's love producing extreme forgiveness. And that's the, bit, the title of this message is we are seeing an extreme forgiveness. Have you ever been called to an extreme forgiveness. You knew that someone hurt you. You knew that, that you were carrying around some wounding from somebody and God was calling you to a forgiveness that you weren't willing to give. Well, here we find an extreme forgiveness on full display. Let's watch what happens as Stephen and his defense falls short and people are angry, and he gives his life. Let's read Acts 7, verse 54. It says, When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Here's a key verse here. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Look, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the, witness, the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you hear the words that Stephen uh, prayed 
as he was literally giving his life. He had rocks flying at him. Um, he was uh, had hatred. He had people yelling at him, probably spitting on him. And he used words that were very similar to Jesus when he said, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. What extreme forgiveness do we see on display here? I don't know about you, but I know that I would fall short as I've got rocks flying at me with full intention of killing me, that I would be able to muster the words, Lord, don't hold these people responsible for this sin being committed against me. But you might recall Jesus said something really similar as he was hanging on the cross. And we're going to read that in Luke 23, verse 33. And Jesus says, and when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. How do we come up with such extreme forgiveness? How do we come up with the, the muster within us to offer forgiveness to those who don't deserve it, to those who have violated us, to those who have falsely accused us, even to those who have brutally treated us? We find this group of people throwing rocks with intention to kill. We find a group of people around Jesus's cross as they've nailed him to a cross. And here these men would say, Father, don't hold the sin against them. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Extreme forgiveness comes by this. And we find this in that verse 55 in Acts 7. And the first thing is that this kind of forgiveness only comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God. God authors that kind of forgiveness. You don't have that strength. Your humanity does not have that kind of strength. It is something that comes from God. And we see that it says, but he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit as he's approaching this moment of death, he's full of the Holy Spirit. And it is God who can give us the power to forgive, especially in extreme situations like this. It also comes out of a focus on eternity. You see, we find here that it says that Stephen gazed into heaven. He had his sight fixed on the heavenly, on the eternal, on that which was coming. We almost can get a sense that Stephen had a moment of joy as he was looking into eternity, knowing that he was about to die. Um, we, friends, can also discover that as we focus in on eternity, that the things that annoy us or accuse us or, um, you know, seem big right now seem to fade. The things that really hurt us, the things that really get us down, the ways that people come about us, we're going to find as we focus on eternity that that stuff holds smaller and smaller grip on our hearts. Because our focus on eternity in, will enable us to see things more clearly, to realize that the violations against us um, pale in comparison to, the, to what is to come. And that gives us the power for extreme forgiveness, a focus on eternity. And what will it do? If we can be the kind of people that offer extreme forgiveness, we are going to be connected to Christ as never before. We're going to be identifying with Christ and in his sufferings. And we will be connected when you can find forgiveness in your heart. And I want to encourage you right now for you to think about what circumstance in your life requires forgiveness. This early church needed to understand extreme forgiveness because there were people being violated left and right. People being falsely accused left and right. It was an extreme culture. 
But you might find yourself living in an extreme culture too. Maybe you're living in an extreme culture you call marriage. Or you're living in an extreme culture you call going to work. Or going to school. Or an extreme culture you call my government that I'm living under. Or the rules I'm living under. You decide what you're struggling. What is your environment that's, ca- that's causing a need for you to discover extreme forgiveness? And I want to encourage you to ask the Lord today to give you the ability to extreme forgiveness. That you would be able to offer forgiveness to the circumstances, to the people, to those who have hurt you. You might need to forgive yourself because you're so ashamed of something that you have been involved in. And just as the early church needed this kind of an example, Stephen giving his life as he's saying, "Don't, Father, don't hold this sin against them. You need that example too. And you need to forgive yourself. You need to forgive those around you. You need to offer it to the Lord. And you cannot do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to invite the Holy Spirit's help. You need to focus on eternity and realize that the things that have hurt you, the things that have been stolen from you, pale in comparison to that which is waiting for you in eternity. But friends, that eternity is not waiting for you unless you can discover forgiveness. Because we are called to forgive give those who have trespassed against us in the same way and for the for the reason of the fact that we have been forgiven. We find that in the Lord's prayer. Jesus himself prayed that, "Lord, help me to forgive those who've trespassed against me because you have forgiven me." So what obstacles do you face that are keeping you from forgiveness? Friends, all those obstacles, all the things that you can name right now as to why you can't forgive, all of those obstacles need to be offered to the Holy Spirit. Invite Him in. Invite Him to help you with your forgiveness. If you can get a handle on forgiveness in your life, your life will be changed. And you might ultimately give your life for the sake of Christ, but you will do it in the same manner that Stephen did it. Lord God, I thank you for the way you have forgiven the way you have loved, the way, God, you were able to say as Jesus himself was hanging on the cross and you said, Lord, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And we find Stephen capturing those same words at the moment of his, uh, his death. His persecution. And Lord God, I know that nobody listening to this has got the power within them to forgive those who have sinned against them. But Lord God, in you, we can discover extreme forgiveness. I pray that everyone who's listening here, God, that's got someone in their life that needs to be forgiven, that they would be able to offer them to you. Your Holy Spirit would come right into that situation and they would discover forgiveness and they would discover new life and they would discover hope and God, they would discover you and that they would be connected to you like never before as they would identify with you and your suffering. Lord God, there is hope even in the midst of suffering. God, we want to be like this early church. We've talked about boldness. We've talked about um, walking in a fear of the Lord instead of in fear of man. Lord, we've talked about uh, giving our lives and watching people do that. And Lord, now we're taking a look at forgiveness. And I just pray, Lord, there would be a revolution of forgiveness and consequently new life as we do this in our church, in our community. In Jesus' name.